my friend, Dr. Brittany Melton, will be sharing and teaching tonight. Many of you in this room know Brittany, clearly, um, and she is not in need of introduction for many of you. But those who don't know, um, it's not unusual for Brittany to share and teach because she is a mother, she's an elder at this church, and she's a professor of Old Testament at PBA. So sharing herself and her knowledge isn't new. Uh, she is a spiritual mother and teacher. She's also my roommate. Uh, we talk a lot around here about being rooted in this city. And about six months ago, I found myself needing affor affordable housing so I could stick around and be rooted in this church and in this city. Uh, I reached out half kidding to Brittany, <laughs> who I barely knew at the time, to see if I could move into their spare room with her family of four. And within days, she had said, yes, and when are you coming? I said before that what I needed was affordable housing. After living there for six months, what I have found is much more than that. I found home and family and very delicious food. Tonight, Brittany is going to teach us about hospitality, and I would encourage you to take notes, ask questions, listen back, do whatever you have to do to internalize this, because Brittany is the real deal. And I'm speaking from the inside, people. Um, she is brave, and she's real, and her hospitality and the hospitality of her family has been a huge blessing to me personally. I have experienced from her the kind of hospitality that has made me feel safe to grow and free to be myself. So, Brittany, thank you for being our teacher tonight, who not only has the degrees and the titles, um, but the real day-to-day -day experience of doing hospitality well. Hospitality well. Hello. My good. All right, they don't make these for women in dresses, so you can go there. I feel like I have a beekeeping thing on my head, so just bear with me. All right, we are going to begin tonight by reading our text um, that is listed in your bulletin. So we will be in Luke 14, verses 15 to 24, which you can find in the Pew Bibles, the Red Bibles in front of you, or up here on the screen. Uh, both are the NIV version. Well, V means version. All right. So when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in 
so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. All right, so I have titled this sermon, At Home, A Call to Real Hospitality. I don't know about you, but when I think of hospitality, my first thought is not about God. It's actually much more along the lines of Betty Draper from Mad Men or some other woman in an apron and perfect red lipstick from the 1950s era, serving some freshly baked muffins or something of that nature. Or maybe more generally you think of Southern hospitality with its concern for rules and etiquette and proper manners. But manners actually have nothing to do with biblical hospitality. In fact, it might be the very opposite of it. In the sense that societal norms of politeness are for reinforcing the status quo and power structures of society, which Jesus said about turning upside down for the sake of the marginalized, sometimes the most ill-mannered of society. So if you thought we were going to start with home, uh, let me just disappoint you now and say that we might get to what happens inside the four walls of our house at the very end of this talk. Because biblical hospitality is so much bigger and more costly than hosting dinner parties, which if you cook with Jordan Smith, you know are already a bit costly, but worth it. <laughs> so I want us tonight to reimagine hospitality in three respects. One, the hospitality of God. Two, our experiences of hospitality and inhospitality. And three, what it is to show hospitality. In other words, I want us to progress from the foundation of God's hospitality or theology to our experience of that hospitality in restoration and redemption to the outworking or extension of that hospitality to others, what we call ethics. So we'll move from understanding our hospitable God to reflecting our experiences of hospitality and inhospitality for the sake of being hospitable people. And I think it's important that we look at both sides of our experience in order for that outworking to be real. So one, hospitable God. If you were here last month, we talked about reimagining creation. That was last month, right? Great, <laughs> all of last month. Part of that entailed looking at how God and his goodness created a world, a home, for us in which we could share life with God and each other. Lauren Winner, who I'll keep referring back to this evening, um, says that creation is the ultimate expression of God's hospitality to his creatures. God set up a world in which we are meant to experience a sense of belonging and security in our family, in our homes, in our communities, and in our world. We see God's intentions in the Garden of Eden, as well as throughout the book of Genesis, as God over and over again promises to give Abraham a family, a place, and to bless him. Not simply so Abraham can find a sense of belonging and security, rather so that the people of God, as Abraham's family grows, could be a blessing to others. Not just in some spiritual sense, but in the tangible reality of need. We can see this in the life of Joseph when he rises to power in Egypt, 
so that all the Egyptians as well as the surrounding peoples who had sought refuge there are provided for in the midst of famine. So Joseph explicitly says to his brothers in Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So we can see God's hospitality in creating the world for us to be at home with him and in God's relentless pursuit of blessing us so that we can be a blessing to others. I'll have to keep moving here, otherwise I'll give you the whole version of my Genesis grad class and we'll never go home. So <laughs> we need to make it back to Luke. So beyond Genesis, we find God not only creates a world for all humanity and seeks to bless them, but God also makes provisions in the giving of the law for welcoming those outside of his chosen people, Israel. There are numerous stipulations in the Old Testament law laying out how outsiders should be welcomed into the people and cared for, along with countless uh, admonishments for when Israel doesn't do this. So God sternly warns them to love and not exploit the foreigners among them, saying, don't forget you too were strangers in Egypt. This is said over and over again, meaning you know what it's like to experience inhospitality. You should know better. And God takes hospitality seriously because it's a reflection of his character. So beyond the Old Testament, we see God's hospitality and his welcome to all even more radically in the life of Jesus, who constantly welcomed the marginalized as well as in the proclamation of the early Christ followers. In Acts, Peter proclaims both that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved and that Jesus is Lord of all. And we say this verse a lot around here, but the Apostle Paul says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, in Galatians 3.28, for all are one in Christ Jesus. So the divisions and boundaries which threatened inhospitality in the family of God are made null and void. And in Revelation 7-9, we see the splendor of God's hospitality in the vision of the new heaven and in, in the new earth that Keith talked about a couple weeks ago, where every nation, tribe, people, and tongue is at home in the world and with God. So we move from this idea about our hospitable God who creates for all, who blesses all, and who welcomes all who knock to our experience of hospitality and inhospitality. We've likely all experienced some degree of hospitality from God, the world, the church, and our family. The difficulty is all of us have also experienced inhospitality even though this wasn't God's intention. So he desires for us to feel at home in the world and be in relationship with him and others, but that's hard to believe in the face of broken homes, persistent sexism, relentless racism, and on and on. As a result, we view the world and sometimes God as hostile rather than hospitable. That's why we long so much for a sense of home, as it should be, a safe place to belong as we are. Um, let me give you an example of each in my own life. 
So my first memorable experience of inhospitality is extreme, so fair warning. It came unexpectedly when I was seven years old, when my dad was sentenced to a year in a white-collar prison. We lost our house, our car, our dignity. I don't know all the ins and outs, but I know that the world no longer felt safe or to be a stable place, and my home would never be restored. I felt like the world was against me, and my family could do very little to protect me from that reality. But out of that darkness, that experience, I longed for a home. I don't know what that experience is for you, but I can imagine that many of you have been in that place of longing for more, to be heard, to be safe, to be provided for, or even just longing for the presence of someone who loves you unconditionally that's no longer here. So I wanted a new life, a new home, and I found one. Or rather, it surrounded me. So during the year of infrequent two-hour-long drives to see my dad and regular letters on Hallmark stationery, I think I had like every version, I was befriended by the new girl in class. No one else really wanted to hang out uh, for obvious reasons. She happened to be the daughter of a youth minister at the other church in town, and she invited me to church. I was already going to church, but this was a new church without all the judgment that had become a constant companion everywhere else I went. And from that point on, my life was changed forever. At this point, I was eight, so we'd spent a whole second grade year together, me and Courtney, and Jesus found me right in the midst of that brokenness. I remember the preacher asking if I wanted a new start for God to transform my life, if I wanted to be part of the family of God, and for Jesus to walk with me through the ups and downs of life. So I'm sure many of you have heard these like early conversion stories of people talking about how they were scared of hell, so they professed the name of Jesus when they were young. That was very much not my experience. This offer was everything I had been longing for, and at eight years old, Jesus drew me to himself with the promise of a better home. So it took me some time to realize that home wasn't just somewhere in the distant future called heaven, but that God has been restoring and redeeming the world all along. It's just not finished yet. So how do we, out of our experiences of both hospitality and inhospitality, work alongside our hospitable God to bring about a world where all can be at home? So this is our call tonight to radical hospitality. How can we be a hospitable people? It's interesting that God uses this same tactic in teaching Israel how they should be hospitable people. He instructs them to remember, don't forget, you were strangers in Egypt. He doesn't want them to forget their experience of slavery and inhospitality in a foreign land, why? so that they will treat strangers with hospitality they were shown by God. 
so that they will treat the foreigner as God would, welcoming them in, embracing them, and not excluding them, to use the language of Miroslav Volf. So how then do we do this? First, we have to trust that God created a home for us and that God is constantly working to redeem and restore this world. We cannot act in hospitality if we are living in an economy of scarcity, always believing there is never enough, never enough money, never enough time. God's economy is not one of scarcity, but it is one of justice. Basically, we have to maintain hope, as our friend Barbara Cheeves says, and I think she said she stole it from our own Ryan Gladwin, but in the face of injustice, we have to hold to that to have any hope at all. So we keep working with hope. Second, we offer others a sense of belonging and security. This only start, this usually starts with listening, as Keith would be quick to tell you. So what we're called to is not simply an invitation to open our homes and our tables, as uh, Winner argues, to intentionally invite people into our lives, mess and all, as they are. This usually makes me think of the profound chorus from one of the songs we sang last week about the broken and guilty, the crippled in need, all the ones just like me, they're all just like me. It's in this recognition of shared humanity, shared brokenness, that we can truly be hospitable people. It is this forging of relationships that transforms entertaining, so this is winner's kind of way of conceiving of it, it transforms entertaining, which is like dull cocktail parties at the country club, into hospitality. So that can look like pizza on the floor. So are you trying to live life together or just entertain people for your own amusement or benefit? That's where I see the radical difference between Southern hospitality and biblical hospitality. Who stands to gain? And is anyone really known and accepted in their mess? Because when they are, both host and guest should be transformed by simply being in relationship with each other. Because simply sharing space and any real degree of relationship necessarily opens our eyes. This makes me think of a book, which is a phrase I often say if you talk to Natalie Owens, she comes to me with questions and I'm like, read this book. Um, but this book I love called The Lemon Tree. It's a novel about an Israeli family and a Palestinian family who occupy the same house over a number of years as a result of endless policies in the Middle East. The sheer fact of caring for the same lemon tree forces these families to see the other as human just simply a person needing a house, as opposed to reducing the other to some sort of identity marker, be it nationality, skin color, sex, political party, or religion. When we share life as God intended, we share in a common humanity and work for all to be at home in God's world. So maybe even more practical, how do we do this? Well, our lives and our homes are often not presentation or Instagram worthy. If we wait until we are perfectly put together or our time is freed up or we can afford it, we'll never be hospitable. 
We have to choose to let others interrupt our lives, and often these are the moments that are the real stuff of life, when life feels truly lived. (laughs) Why I put these things in here, I don't know. Um, So right now, um, I feel terrified to start a process that I've been planning and preparing for for like the last 10 plus years of my life. I have been committed to adopting children for the better part of um, the time I've known Drew, we together. Um, So I have talked to countless people about the hard realities of doing so, and now actually a year later than I even imagined, I'm like an ultra planner, so we're behind schedule. Um, (laughs) So later than I even imagined, the thought of actually filling out paperwork is terrifying. Why? Um, because real hospitality is dangerous. It is risky and not just for me. So I'm scared to lose the precious life that Drew and I have worked so hard to build. I worry about what it might do to our kids. I fear my heart might break with disappointment after disappointment um, from other people's stories. And um, I think I might break under the weight of adding more responsibility to my plate. I certainly don't think it makes any sense in the world's economy of scarcity to think about the cost and time required in the midst of everything else. But God's hospitality calls us to risk in order to create a home for the other because they are not the other to God. So, whomever your risky guest might be, right, like, we could all find a risky guest, probably out on the street. Um, They were created by God, and he desires to bless and to welcome them. God wants them to feel at home in the world, and it's our calling to be hospitable people. So practically, I would challenge you to be hospitable in your home by intentionally sharing meals, which usually requires, again, winter is helpful here, that we need to surrender notions of domestic perfection. If you come to our house, you probably sat on lots of Legos, like it's, (laughs) or found dirty diapers in the bathroom. Like it could go on and on, but like, you're not gonna be ready all the time when people need you or people just wanna be there. Um, So just as an aside, I definitely felt way more at home in the crammed mess of English homes, living in the UK with their small rooms and the clutter of real life than I ever did in the pristine houses I visited in the States, which maybe Emily Post and Martha Stewart would be proud of. So we be hospitable in our homes, in our city. So I'm growing and being stretched in this. Our Rooted series last year was all about finding belonging yourself here in West Palm Beach. Surely we as Christians cannot think of this as an end unto itself. I think that's where it starts. I know that that is definitely Keith's heart and the other people here at 
providencia, that we are ourselves rooted so that we can then care for others and be leveraging our connections on others' behalves. So this is so countercultural in a transient world that we would choose or feel a sense of calling to a place in order to work for the good of others in that place. And lastly, um, on this more practical note, I think we have a lot of room to grow to be a hospitable church. So I've certainly received an abundance of hospitality from the people in this room, um, but I think we have a lot further to go. So Lauren Winner, she, I've referred to her throughout the talk. She's a convert from Orthodox Judaism to Christianity, and she has this tiny little book called Mud House Sabbath in which she takes 11 practices that she learned growing up in Judaism and says, here's how this will enrich Christian life. Some of them are things we do, like prayer. Um, and one chapter's on hospitality. So she basically talks about like the dreadfulness of going to church and how it felt really inhospitable, like the welcoming desk, in a really funny way. She talks about that. And she's contrasting that with this sense of, um, there's actually this rabbinic quote that floats around a lot in Judaism about the importance of bringing the other in being even more important than being in the presence of God. Now, I'm not necessarily espousing that, but it is upheld as the, the highest of callings that you would bring the other into your space. Um, so she, res she reflects on this, and I think in that we see the Old Testament and even Jews today certainly doing a whole lot better with sharing meals and hosting people than we generally do. But on top of that challenge, I'm saying we're generally, we don't make long meals. We're like, do you have 10 minutes to eat with me? Like, that can maybe be hospitable, arguably not. <laughs> um, making these long times to be with people and sit with people um, in the midst of life. On top of the challenge to be better at that, uh, when we look to the life of Jesus, it's, it's even more so. So he invites um, the least of these to partake in meals with him. So we are coming back to Luke 14. So the last point um, is here about the type of people that we invite in. So in Luke 14, they are worried about eating at God's table. So in verse 15, he said, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, instead of in, about being concerned about who he should be inviting to the table. So you see our passage for tonight calls us to look back at what was happening just before. Because in verse 15, it begins, when one of those at the table with him heard this, heard what? When we look back a couple of verses, we see that Jesus had just been dining at a Pharisee's house. An interesting text to think about with this question of real hospitality. So imagine you're there in this Pharisee's house. Was Jesus receiving hospitality? If we were to ask Martha Stewart, she might say yes, all the right preparations had been made. There was nice food, lovely people, seats of honor. But underneath all of that, we hear that these Pharisees, experts in the law, who should have known something about true hospitality, they were waiting to pounce. They were trying to trap Jesus. So let's start reading again in Luke, but actually flip back to chapter 14, verse 1. 
One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. We're going to skip over the healing and down to verse 7. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this other person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner like this one, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they, might, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. So when we pick up with our passage tonight in verse 15, this is on the heels of Jesus just telling them what sort of people they should be dining with. So in verse 13, we found the answer to our question about what they had just heard. Jesus had just insulted his host by telling him he invited the wrong people to his house. Not exactly the epitome of manners in our culture and certainly not in an honor-shame culture like theirs. So we start to see that even if all appears hospitable on the surface, Jesus is reprimanding this man's false hospitality. He is saying real hospitality has nothing to do with what you get out of it. So invite those people who seemingly have nothing to offer you. So we see that our passage for tonight comes right on the heels of Jesus calling out fake hospitality. If you only share life with the people who think like you, that's just entertaining. Don't pat yourself on the back and call it hospitality. So let's pick back up in verse 15. Remember, Jesus has just explicitly told them who should be invited. But we're back to the concern with whether or not I'll be invited. The man is talking about who will eat at the feast. Then Jesus replies, I can only imagine Jesus' thoughts at this point. Perhaps something along the lines of you people are never going to get beyond your own self-interest and see the bigger thing I'm about. Let's try this one more time. So Jesus replies in verse 16. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. And we heard their excuses before, which might seem pretty valid actually. Right, I just got married so I can't come. I imagine we all might use that. Um, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the, the lame, and the blind. It's much like verse 13 above. 
right? He reiterates the explicit point he made earlier that they seem to have not got the first time round. So again, the wider context of this chapter, we see that they are worried about eating at God's table themselves instead of inviting people to the table. Moreover, when it comes time to eat at the table, if that's what they wanted to do, let's imagine these people are in the parable, they would rather do other things and make very polite and reasonable excuses, as in verse 18, and they don't actually come. So they're so concerned with getting there we might imagine they don't end up at the table at all. So are we missing the banquet prepared for us even now, is my question tonight. The great banquet has already begun. The kingdom was inaugurated when Jesus took on human flesh and dwelt among us. Are we missing the banquet even now, the chance to share life with those in the kingdom? to share fellowship and communion with the Spirit of God and with all people who follow Jesus, not just those who look like us. So this is what I would argue is real or costly or even radical hospitality that God has shown us and calls us to live out. And to come back full circle, we see the persistent hospitality of God in verses 22 and 23 if we imagine that he's the host in this parable. So verse 22, sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. There is always enough room at God's table and he is begging you, another translation has, making you come in off the road and from far out in the country to his house which is full to share in an abundant meal. Before we have communion, I'm gonna pray for us. Let's pray now.